So let's continue in worship as we look at Philippians 2. I'm going to be reading the first 11 verses, and I'll also be reading from the CSB. The Apostle Paul is writing these words, and this is what we find in Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious Father, as we come to you now, we come as your people. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see the beauty of your word, the gospel revealed to us, the good news that we can have life through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you will teach us today how to walk by faith, give us courage to do that, strengthen your people, encourage your people. Draw people to yourself today. Lord, we thank you that you are an amazing God. And we are able to worship you today here at South Shore Baptist Church. So, Father, we thank you for the work that you have done, you are doing, and that you will do. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. He is Lord. We thank you for all of these things. Lead us by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, well let's begin to unpack Philippians 2. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the main two points right off the bat. The first four verses, Paul is encouraging us to simply consider others. That's the first point. The first four verses is to consider others. And then the second point point is to conform to Christ. If we are considering others and we are conforming to Christ, we will be exalting our great God. The main point of this sermon is we are to imitate Jesus Christ in our thinking, and in doing so, we will consider others. That is, we will love others. Now, when I read the word consider others... I don't know about you, but I thought, well, maybe this is an optional statement. But when he says consider others, he's not saying you will consider others like you might consider a second piece of cake 
or consider taking out the trash. No, that's not the consider here. The consider here that is referred to in verse 3 is not a passing thought toward others, but thinking of others with warm love and respect. Thinking of others maybe the way you would think of a family member. In fact, even closer than a family member, a loved family member, uh, even closer than a family member because they are your brother or sister in Christ. And when we are united to Christ, we look upon others and ourselves based upon our identity in Christ. So I want us to see four precious realities for those who are united to Christ as we begin. The four precious realities are in verse 2. Those united to Christ by faith think the same way, they show the same love, they are united by the same spirit, and they have the same purpose. These are the precious realities here for those who are united to Christ. And we see that those who are united to Christ by faith, they think the same way, not about every little thing in detail, but about the fundamentals of the faith. They show the same love because we've been shown the love of the Father. We know the love of Christ, and so we are um, affected to love others. We have the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see and to believe and to cherish the gospel. And we have the same purpose. We are called to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So these realities are precious, not just because Paul's joy is being made complete, but because God's plans are being accomplished. God's plans are being accomplished in the people of God that He has chosen, that have been redeemed, are united with one purpose. Now let's go back to verse 1. You might have thought he forgot about verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1 as we meditate on the beauty of knowing God and worshiping Him. Paul says there in verse 1, If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. So Paul is reminding us our encouragement, our strength, and our unity is found in Christ. It's found in our triune God. But when some people read verse 1, questions and doubts are raised. Is Paul pondering? Is he wondering if these things are true? No. You could say, because we have encouragement in Christ, because of the love we've been shown, because of the affection and mercy. He's not pondering these things. This is where English helps us and our grammar in school. And this is where I'm always growing and learning. But Paul is using a conditional sentence here, if, to spur the Philippians on so they will reflect on the reality of being united to Christ. And if these qualities are evident in their life, then they will continue to grow in the faith. So he's spurring them on that we know who we are in Christ. We have received grace and mercy because of the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ. So because of these realities in verses 1 and 2, Paul again is spurring the believers on at Philippi. He's spurring the believers on here at South Shore Baptist Church to continue in the faith, to continue growing and knowing what the gospel is. As we think about our union with Christ, we must think about how it affects our relationship with God and with one another 
as we persevere as a Christ follower. Paul is not just speaking about what he, who he is and what he believes, but he says there's this unity here between me and you. Let's look quickly at the first chapter. Paul talks about what it means to believe and live out the gospel as the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel isolated. I can feel alone. But we must remind ourselves we are not alone. So look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, very quickly. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. You are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he is reminding the believers, we are in this fight together. And then one more verse in verse 27. Paul says, uh, chapter 1, he says, One thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending for the faith of the gospel. So we are called to not only believe the gospel, but we are called to live out the gospel as the body of Christ. So as the body of Christ, we are engaged in the same battle together. We are following Christ together. We are pressing on together because God has brought us together. Because of who God is and what he has done, we rejoice and are filled with joy because God is at work in our lives. You must understand, though, when I talk about joy, your joy is not based on the approval of your friends, the behavior of your kids, or your most recent report from the doctor. Joy comes from knowing God and rejoicing in His purposes for us. I heard recently the Busby Dictionary defines joy as resolute rejoicing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I like that. Not just because it sounds true, and not, not like, not, let me rephrase that, not just because it sounds nice, but because it is true. There you go, there's that bundle of emotions. Our faith is grounded in the God-man, Jesus Christ. You may have heard, and this is true, that Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God will not be defeated. His plans will be accomplished. And this is why we praise God. As a result, there must be unity amongst Christ's people. We see this in the first two verses. There's a special unity that exists among those who follow Christ. We're not united by our favorite baseball team. Thank goodness. We're not united by our political persuasions or our occupations. We're united because of Christ. Because of Christ, we are better together. The words better together were used as a campaign slogan for a no vote in the effort for Scotland to separate from the United Kingdom in 2014. In other words, they were saying Scotland and the United Kingdom 
we're better together. So we, as the body of Christ, are far better together, together because our loyalties and the kingdom we seek far exceed anything rulers and governments of this age can offer. We are better together. Let's continue on. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. We see these vital commands. This is what Paul is stressing here. If we know the Father, if we are united to Christ, if we have the same Spirit... Then, verse 3 and 4 are the overflow of who we are in Christ. Essentially, Paul is saying, do nothing out of selfishness. Instead, show selflessness as you consider, as you love others. Then the second command is, he just simply says, look out for the interests of others. We don't really have to go far to look out for the interests of ourselves. But we are called to look out for the interests of others. We are called to love one another, even, this is what's so countercultural, even our enemies. We are called to love. The goal is not to put a scale in your mind and compare others as better than they are. The goal is what you count others to be. The goal is not to grade others based upon their skills or talents. The focus must be on our hearts in helping others, encouraging others, again, not based upon their worth, what they have done for you, but based upon the love you have been shown. So as we do this, we must take into account verse 5. Verse 5 is the, the hinge verse, if you will. This is instructive for all of us. What does verse 5 say? It says, we must adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That can be difficult. It takes reforming our thoughts, repenting of our actions, and rehearsing the gospel. As I've said many times back in Alabama, that everyone needs the gospel. Believers and unbelievers, if they have a pulse, they need the gospel. We must rehearse the gospel. So as we do, we must ask ourselves questions like these. Will I take my thoughts captive so that I can look to the interests of so-and-so? Can I sacrifice my time in order to encourage my brother or sister in Christ? Am I able to spend an evening listening to the burdens that my friend or spouse is carrying? The text tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition. That is a tough mission. Because again, we look out for ourselves at every turn. But from the moment we wake to the moment we go to sleep at night, we look to ourselves. Now our every inclination may not show selfish ambition, but our nature is selfish and sinful to the core. This is why Paul does not seek to reform us from within. He doesn't say, change yourselves, but rather he says, look to Christ He reminds us that we have been born again. We must not turn back to the old man, to the old woman. Rather, we remember who we are and our identity in Christ. Selfish ambition and vain conceit are mentioned here in this passage, and they are weapons in the hands of our enemy. They are weapons in the hands of the evil one. They will divide a church, and they will divide our hearts. This is why we must continually address 
issues of the heart. Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That is one of those verses that we should meditate on and memorize because if our heart goes, if our heart is seeking another kingdom instead of God's kingdom, we will treat others um, based upon what kingdom we are seeking. As we look out for the interests of others, it requires humility, a humility that is found in our Savior. Remember, our Savior from the Gospel of Matthew did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This brings us again to remember verse 5, that we are to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus Christ. If you want to follow God, we must follow Jesus Christ. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. But as Pastor Cody preached, as we all believe, the birth is not the end of the story. The cradle leads us to the cross. And so we know that Jesus came to die. That's what Paul emphasizes here as he says, adopt the attitude of Jesus Christ. Imitate Christ. Take on his mindset. As we're being conformed to Christ, we are crucifying sin and we are walking in humility. Jesus Christ shows us what true humility looks like here. And we must remember who Jesus was before he was born, before he took on flesh. Look with me very quickly in Colossians 1 as we remember who Jesus Christ is before he took on flesh. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Again, Paul speaks and he says, He, speaking of Christ, speaking of our Savior, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. So this is who we remember. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son with the Father before He was born. He is fully man and He is fully God. The Scriptures teach that in Him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. We see here in verse 6, yes, He is God. But Jesus did not take His title as something to be exploited. He did not abuse or misuse His power. He reveals His power to benefit others, even when it cost him his own life. Speaking of costing him his own life, listen to this quote by Dr. Russell Moore. He says, when we were still orphans, Christ became a substitute orphan for us. Though he was a son, he took on the humiliation of a slave and the horror of death. So we can look at the death of Jesus knowing that this is true humility, that it cost him his life in benefiting us. We look at the life and ministry of Jesus and we see what true humility looks like. 
Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. There's been a lot written about what this means about Jesus emptying himself. We're not going to get into all of that this morning. But in short, the Greek here can mean that he simply gave up status and privilege. This is what Jesus did. He did not carry around an entitled chip on the shoulder. He took on the title servant when he took on the likeness of humanity in coming to us as a man. And we see in this passage in verses 7 and 8, his humanity is coupled with his humility. In our passage, we witness the Savior's humility through his suffering, through his sacrifice. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death. He was obedient to the Father's plan. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith. In joyful obedience, he went to the cross. He endured the suffering there and the shame that went with it. Jesus is perfect in every way, yet he lays down his life in the most humble way. The cross was reserved for murderers. It was reserved for rebels. It was reserved for thieves. Deuteronomy 21, Galatians 3, teaches us that anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So while the cross shows us the curse for sin and rebellion, Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I read recently, and this is true, Adam, the first man, brought the curse into the world, Jesus bears the curse on our behalf. This is great news. This is a wonderful truth that Jesus humbles himself to the point of death so that we can have life. He voluntarily chose the path of humiliation. The humility of Jesus Christ paves the way for us to have life. Jesus defines humility in putting Our interests, our interests, when he did not know us, when we were not making our way to him, when we were improving ourselves, no, we were yet sinners, he dies for us. He suffers, he serves, and sacrifices on our behalf. This is why we sing this, the power of the cross, son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. In the final three verses, we see and savor the exaltation of our Savior. The name of Jesus far exceeds all other names. The name of Jesus far exceeds all other names. As we look at these last three verses, we see that Jesus alone is God. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not any of these other people in other religions, but Jesus alone is God. Some of you have heard, I know Sheena and my kids know this, that I enjoy sports following particularly uh, baseball and basketball. And I was reading an article recently about LeBron James. He's not one of my favorites, but he's a great player. And uh, so I've heard. And uh, he was asked what it was like 
to meet Michael Jordan for the first time when he was a 16-year-old boy. What was it like for you, LeBron, when you met MJ for the first time? This was his response. He said, it was godly. It was like meeting God for the first time. I'm sorry, LeBron, but your high praise for MJ does not measure up to the one true God. Jesus Christ alone is God. And so we read in our passage, what does it say in verse 10? One day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So let me encourage you here this morning that if you don't know Christ, that you will acknowledge and believe Jesus Christ is Lord. And we must remember that you must humble yourself or eventually you will be humbled. For the church, South Shore Baptist Church, two quick applications. Pray for humility and serve humbly. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have shown us what true humility looks like through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, death has been defeated because Jesus Christ conquered the grave. So this is why we sing the power of the cross. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have opened our eyes to believe the truth. Father, I pray that you will remind us of the gospel. We will embrace the gospel. We will cherish it. We will share it. We will live it out daily. Lord, we pray your will be done in all these matters. Lord, we thank you in advance. It's in Christ's name I pray.